0: Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant, christ Center church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. Whenever there is a plight of a people, whether they are like you, whether they come from your same background, whether they were raised like you, if they have a plight or if they are hurting, if you call them a brother or a sister, especially in the body of Christ, You have to do this one simple thing. You have to acknowledge it. You have to acknowledge someone else's pain. You have to acknowledge someone else's plight. Acknowledge it. Don't turn a deaf ear or blind eye to the pain of another group of people. Acknowledge it. Acknowledge someone's pain. And maybe because you don't struggle with an issue or there's an issue that you don't particularly deal with or you don't think that it directly affects you. Does not mean you're derelict in your responsibilities as a Christian to acknowledge another person's pain. Here's why I say this. In the book of Romans, Romans 12 and 15, it says this, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So if your brother is hurting, you should weep with your brother. If your sister is hurting, you should weep with your sister, whether they look like you or not, whether they come from the same socioeconomic background as you or not. Just because they are a child of God, you mourn and you weep with those who mourn. Amen. After you acknowledge it, here's what we have to do. Here's what we have to do. And, 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 And this is difficult. This is a difficult and a hard conversation. But if we don't have it in the church, where can we have it? What can we have hard conversations? Because in the church, we should be sensible people. We should be sensible people, people filled with the Holy Spirit that should be able to hear each other out, listen to the issues and have dialogue. But after you 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 understand and acknowledge someone else's plight. Let me let me say this. So sometimes um, as a person of color, when you you hear, uh, when you you, you experience or you talk about racism or, or things of that nature, you bring it up. You have objections. You have complaints to it. Oftentimes, um, oftentimes with skepticism or derision, it's kind of cast aside. And and some will believe that we live in a post racial society and we have progressed greatly. But there are still some issues there. There's still some issues there. Let me give you an interesting statistic. Let me show you. We are we've progressed, but 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 time has not Not that much time has lapsed. So the 13th Amendment um, that outlawed slavery was one hundred and forty seven years ago. The last living known slaves, last living known slaves died in 1948. The last known living slaves died in 1948. That's two life. That's two lifespans. So if someone in America of uh, a black person, African-American descent, um, is at least 70 years or older. There's a possibility that that person lived with or met somebody who was born a legal slave. It's not that far off. And so these are conversations that have to take place in the body of Christ. We have to get across the aisle and dialogue. We have to dialogue, um, engage, listen and then dialogue, even if it's tough, even if you don't deal with the issue personally, have the conversation, have the conversation. I want to tell you a beautiful story um, that, I, that that happened to me on on Friday morning at work. A beautiful story. I work with a lady. Doesn't say much. She's very quiet. I don't know her personally, but I work with the lady and, and I'm just filtering through the emotions of every. It happened Tuesday through Thursday, and I'm sitting Friday, and a lady comes to me. Her name's Holly. Her name's Holly. Holly is 66 um, year old. 66 year old Caucasian lady. I'm sitting at my desk. Holly walks up to me and embraces me. I'm not knowing what's going on because I'm sitting down. I've already saw her this mor- that morning. She had already greeted me, but she comes and she hugs me, and she says, "John, you don't know this about me." And she says, well, she hugged me and she said, I just want to let you know, I embrace all people of color. I embrace people of color. So I was like, wow. And so she said, what you don't know about me is, is that I was raised in Memphis, Tennessee. And in 1968, I was an 18 year old girl. 1968, she said, in April of 1968, I remember being with my father. Well, if you know anything about history in April of 1968, that's when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was murdered. Where? Memphis, Tennessee. And she said, I sung with many people of color and I had a lot of involvement with the civil rights movement. So I understand where you're coming from. And for me, I almost I almost went into tears because that is prototypical. That is picture perfect of what the gospel is supposed to look like. That is picture perfect of what the gospel is supposed to look like. She exemplified gospel centric behavior without someone telling her to do it. She literally went and embraced me and that just changed outlook of my entire day. And that's what it takes for you to get across the aisle because someone doesn't come from the same background as you and engage in dialogue. Do you know that in the first church there were 18 different nations represented in the first church? Everybody was not the same. And so we should display the same type of gospel centric behavior and relationships toward one another in the body of Christ. Can I get an amen? amen. Um, now on to the big picture. So we see two. Two murders. And we have to call it what it is. If you saw the video, we saw two murders this week. And then on Thursday night, we saw the assassination, the murder of five police officers, five police officers, 11 others, 11 other officers were shot. And that is tragic. What is my perspective and what is my mind frame around that? Here's why this is important for everybody in this room, whether you are law enforcement or not, whether you've ever dealt with police brutality or not, whether you've ever dealt with someone, someone in your family's life being taken or not. Here's why this is important, because it says this in Genesis chapter one, verses twenty six to twenty seven. It says this. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God made man and woman in his own image. Do you know that in the creation narrative that human beings were the crowning point of creation? He fashioned each and every one of us in a special way. We bear the stamp and the likeness of our creator. We were made like God in the sense that we can reason, that we had intellect, that we have a will and that we have emotions. And so that as men and women, we reflect the image of God. And when we reproduce, we reproduce more God-like images. And this is a special dignity, a special dignity that we have above all other creations. We are in relationship. We can, you may be seated. I'm sorry. You can, you can have a seat. I'm sorry. But we have this special relationship with God that no other aspect of creation has. We literally can commune and talk with God. God commissioned us to have dominion over the earth. He commissioned us to be his co-regents in the earth, to manage and steward the earth. God gave us a special assignment. We were shaped and formed and fashioned in in the maker's image and his likeness. Everything else prior to humanity produced after his own kind, but when God created us He took his time and he fashioned and formed us in his image and in his likeness. And so there is a dignity, a special dignity that is passed on. To every creature, regardless of where you come from, the simple fact that God created you means that you have great value, that you have significance, that you have dignity, that there is morality on the inside of you, that you bear the image of the creator, that you look like God, that we have God on the inside of us. And I can't stress that enough. And I know that sometimes that is hard to fathom that how can I, with my sinful self, be like God, but God created you in his image image and his likeness. And when he made you, God took his time with you. You are special. You are significant. You have dignity. You have honor. There's something that is special that is bestowed on you that is not bestowed on anything else in creation. And so Proverbs 22 and 2 says this, and it'll be on the screen. Proverbs 22 and 2 in the NLT says this, the rich and poor have this in common. The Lord made them both. So regardless of inequality, the disparity, the biases, the injustices of life, we both, rich and poor, stand under God because he is the creator and judge of everybody. He is the creator and judge of everyone that's ever been born, regardless of where you come from. We have a special dignity that God has bestowed upon us because he is the creator of us all. And so the whole of human ethics... And morality is grounded in this a simple phrase called the Imago Dei. The Imago Dei. The Imago Dei. The image of God. The image of God. And although after the fall in Genesis 3 and 5, the image of God was defaced in us because of sin. And so the, the, the fall diminished, it diminished greatly the image of God on the inside of us. And so it just wasn't for Adam and Eve, but all of their descendants. And so the image of God in us is distorted by sin. It is distorted by sin. But though we are marred greatly by sin, there's this thing called grace. And because of grace that is imparted to us by Jesus, we are renewed, we are regenerated, we have this new birth. And it begins the process of restoration of God's image on the inside of us. And so we can bear the characteristics of the Creator because of God's grace in our lives. When we came into a covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus, we were made new. We were made again in God's image and in His likeness. And so it is this relationship that we have with God that is this grace. The Holy Spirit is on the inside of us that is sanctifying us, that is cleansing us, and that is making us look more and more like God. We are being conformed day by day in the image of God. We are being conformed in his image and his likeness by the way we think, by the way we behave, and everything about us is being conformed in God's image in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is working on the inside of us to make us look more like God. And so with that being said, even though we are a work in progress, what remains is still sufficient to sustain and uphold the sanctity of human life. It still should uphold the sanctity of human life. Why do you say that? Because we should not murder anybody regardless of anything. Murder is an absolute no no. We are not to kill anybody, born and unborn. Born and unborn. You want scripture to prove it? Genesis 9 and 6. Genesis 9 and 6 says this. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. Why? Because God made human beings in his own image. And so Genesis 9 and 6 shows that innocent human life is an attack on the image of God. Anytime you take a life that is an attack on the image of God, that is how serious God takes murder in the Bible. And that is how we're supposed to see it. So any life, when any life is taken, our responsibility is not to look at that person's past, it's not to look at that person's background, it's not to look at that person's race, it's not to look at that person's criminal record, it's not to look at if that person is wearing a uniform. It doesn't matter what what church that person goes to, it does not matter the color of their skin. We should not be happy when someone's life is taken. We are not supposed to take human life. It does not matter, uniform or no uniform, every human life is valuable. But when you don't have that mindset, when you don't have a biblical worldview, you will shrug murder off because we can become so desensitized by the media and what we see on TV and social media. But if you look at the word of God, murder is a serious thing. It is a serious crime. We are not supposed to take anybody else's life regardless of what they've done or who they are or where they come from. It is that serious to God. It is that serious. So before you take a life, you should think about it. You should think about it. And so that's why we mourn. That's why we mourn about what happened in Minnesota. That's why we mourn about what happened in Baton Rouge. That's why we mourn about what happened in Dallas. Because people who were created and made in the image of God, their lives were taken. It is that serious. It goes beyond black and white. It goes beyond racism. It goes beyond systematic issues that plague our country. It goes beyond politics. It goes far beyond any of that. Somebody's life is taken. Somebody lost a father. Somebody lost a brother. Somebody lost an uncle. Somebody lost a cousin. Somebody lost a mentor. Somebody lost a, a coworker. And families are impacted. And when God gave us the commission, he said, take dominion and subdue the earth. He didn't say take a life. He didn't give a command to take a life. Matter of fact, he said produce. He said to multiply. But how can I multiply if somebody's taking a life? That's not multiplication. That's called subtraction. That's called subtraction. And so that's why we value human life, because God values it, and it is the way that God sees it. And so according to Genesis 9 and 6, to take an innocent life, there must be compensation for that. It must be be paid for, because to take a human life says this, I usurp God's sovereignty, and I take life, and I take matters into my own hands. And I've decided that I have a right to take an innocent life away. And so what we're doing when we murder innocent people, innocent people, what we're doing is overthrowing God and humans are left without dignity and significance. We literally rob people of their significance that they were born with. And so when we read this passage, we realize that human life is so important and valuable to God that he requires nothing short of the life of the person who committed the atrocity. To kill a human being is to attack God's image. I want to turn turn your attention to a story because to have a proper understanding. We must first go to the beginning. Let's first go to the law of first mentions Genesis chapter four. And what we'll see in Genesis chapter four is the very first murder that's ever taken place. And I think the very first murder will give us a proper perspective on how we should see things. And how somebody can become so off, off-center in their mind that it will be easy to take a life. In Genesis 4, verses 1 through 15. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain, watch this, was very angry, and his face fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well... Sin is crouching at the door. It is a it is. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. And in a sarcastic tone, he says, am I my brother's keeper? You see, his job was a keeper. So he's being sarcastic with God. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. And so, what you see here, that Cain's renunciation to be obedient to God led to Cain's renunciation to someone who was made in the image of God. First, Cain renounces what God has told him to do, then, you see that perpetuate down into Cain's relationship. With his brother, his negative disposition toward God eventually spills over into his relationship with someone else. And let me tell you this the nature of your earthly relationships are just a mirror of your relationship with God. The nature of your, earthly, of your earthly relationships are just a mirror of your relationship with God. If it's inconsistent with God, then it'll be inconsistent with people. If it is anger towards God, then you eventually start being angry towards people. However you interact with people is a reflection of your relationship with God. So you have to establish a right relationship with God. You have to be in constant communication with God. And once your communication and your vertical relationship with is right with God, then your horizontal relationships will reflect that. But if you have a haphazard, apathetic, lukewarm relationship with God, then that's the same way you'll be with people. If you're always running from God, you'll always be running from people. If you're always dishonest with God, you'll always be dishonest with people. However your relationship with God is, is a ref- it will be a reflection to your earthly and horizontal relationships with people. If you struggle dealing with people, then you probably struggle dealing with God. That's why it's so vital to cultivate and grow your relationship with God. That is why it's so important. And I say this time and time again, and I can't overstate it. We have to spend time in the word of God. We have to spend time in Scripture. We have to spend time praying. We have to spend time calling on and asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit more and more. Because eventually it reflects the relationships with the people that you encounter on a day to day basis. There is no way you can have a consistent relationship with God and be nasty towards other people. Here's why I say that. When you have a relationship with God and you read the word of God and you and you pray, God reveals stuff about you and you will think, man, it is only by the grace and the mercy of God that I am alive. I can't believe that God would still communicate to a person like me. And so when you understand the magnitude of God's grace in your life, it will be easy for you to extend grace to the other people that you encounter on a day to day basis, whether they're acting right or not. You will still extend grace to people. Because God has been gracious to you. It goes both ways. It goes both ways. And if you don't value God, like, like Cain, as the creator and the giver of life, it will be virtually impossible for you to value the life of another person. And so Abel's offering unto God was acceptable. Why was it acceptable? Because it was rooted in obedience. It was rooted in obedience. Abel gave God what God asked for. Cain was rejected because Cain brought what he wanted. Abel brought what was required. Cain brought what he wanted. So in essence, what Cain is doing, he's setting the parameters of his relationship with God. What he's saying with God, I set the rules. You don't set the rules. I dictate the rules of engagement in the relationship. God, you don't dictate the rules of engagement with the relationship. I do. And that is not right because God created us. He called us. So we don't set the rules with the relationship. God sets the rules of the relationship. God doesn't have to obey us. We obey God. We obey God. So Cain's lack of devotion and his failure to repent when God called him on the carpet eventually led to his anger. And so when you base your relationship of God off your parameters, it always leads to destruction. What was Cain's problem? There were three problems along with Cain. There were three problems that led Cain to do what he did. did. There were three problems. Number one, Cain offered unacceptable worship. Cain offered unacceptable worship. Whenever we set the tone for the relationship, whenever we do what we want to do, that's unacceptable worship. God can ask you for something. And if you bring God half of what he asked you for, that is unacceptable. God wants what he requires of you. You do not tell God, God, you asked me for this, but God, I'll give you what I want. I'll give you I'll give you some of it. I'm not going to give you what you require of me. That's called unacceptable worship. We don't give God half of our heart. We give God our whole heart. We don't give God half of our devotion. We give God all of our devotion. It's not that God wants a peace. God wants to be all. And some of us have a problem with putting God first. God wants to be all. God wants priority in our lives. So Cain shows us what it looks like to have unacceptable worship. And then after the unacceptable worship, what does Cain do? That unacceptable worship turns into sin, which turns into anger. It turns into anger. And instead of repenting, Cain doesn't deal with his anger. And what does his anger do? His anger falls into greater sin. And what does that sin become? It becomes murder. And so you see a perpetual fall going on in Cain's life. One, unacceptable worship two anger and then eventually murder. Because when you don't live a life of repentance and when you don't have a relationship with God and examine your own heart. Then all it does is become a perpetual cycle of sin. And one of the most difficult things it is, is to work yourself out of an entanglement, because if you don't deal with it, if you don't call it to the carpet, if you don't lay it at the altar, if you don't bring it to God, if you don't cry out for his help and you don't lean on the Holy Spirit, all you see is a perpetual cycle of sin. And I don't know if you know what it's like to be trapped in something that can't get out of it. It is easy to get into a situation, but it is hard to get out of something. It is extremely hard to get out of something. Ask somebody who's ever been stuck in a relationship that was toxic. It is hard to get out of something that you know that God didn't put you in. But once you're in it, you're in it. And so you take the bait and it begins a perpetual fall from grace and it is hard to get out on it. So when you're dealing with the issue, you have to live a life of repentance and repent daily. Lord, here's my issue. I'm struggling with it. And Lord, I need help. I need help with this. Can you help me deal with this before it turns into something else? And don't ever say what you won't do, because when you're lost in perpetual sin and you are in a black black backslidden state, there is no telling what that will will lead you to. There's no telling. One day is this. The next day is that. And before you know it, you're doing stuff that you said you would never do that. You said you would never do. I want to leave you at this point. Because Cain's thoughts towards God was off, his behavior was off. Cain had a distorted view of worship. Cain thought worship was what he wanted it to become. But Cain was wrong. And that leads me to this point. Theology and ethics are inseparable. Theology and ethics are inseparable. Theology and ethics are inseparable. What your theology looks like will shape your behavior. If your theology is thwarted, then your behavior will be thwarted. And when you have a wrong view of God, you will have a wrong view of behavior and how you are supposed to respond to life. When your behavior, when your theology is right, when your perspective on God is right, and it's run through the lens of Christ, there's no way you will murder anybody. You'll think twice before you take a life. You'll use self-control. You'll use your better judgment. You won't get caught and lost in the heat of anger and passion or whatever your your uh, fear are, your fears are, or whatever your your biases are. You'll say, you know what? That is a human life, and I know that God values life, and I have a biblical perspective. Even though I'm wearing a uniform even though I'm out of a uniform, even though I have the power and I can sit here and take another person's life, even though they're innocent, I cannot do that because I value human life because God said that he valued human life and we are made and created in the image of God and because my theology is right, I can't commit that type of act. It shapes your behavior. Theology and ethics are inseparable. They are inseparable. And here's the thing. After reading through... Social media, I just recommend that everybody put the phone down this week. Just take a break from Facebook this week. Please take a breather. Last week was way too much for anybody. We all need to take a step back. We might need to take, cut the TV off. And we might need to, dare I say, spend some time in the Word. We got to take a step away. Because if not, we'll get drowned in what is fed to us through the computer screen, through the phone and through the TV. And that shapes and distorts your view, whether you believe it or not. We need to take a step back and take a breather, because what will end up happening is this. You'll become so angry that you'll take you'll think that maybe we should start taking matters into our own hands. And when you see that. And when you realize what's happened, that is exactly what happened in Dallas. Somebody said, I am so angry at what goes on in law enforcement that I can't take this anymore. So I'm gonna play the role of God Jr. and I'm gonna take matters into my own hands. And now I have the right to take human life. I don't ask any questions. How do we know that he didn't kill people Who were innocent? How do we know that he didn't kill people in law enforcement who had the right motives? But when you are filled with rage and anger and you don't check your emotions and you don't run them through the lens of scripture and you don't realize that you've been a benefactor of God's grace yourself you will take matters into your own hands but can I tell you ladies and gentlemen that is not the God type of behavior that we should display no matter how bad it gets, no matter how oppressed you feel, no matter how much injustice you think is done and wrong is wrong I'm not saying don't protest, I'm not saying don't march, I'm not saying don't write your congressman I'm not saying don't use your vote I'm not saying don't voice your displeasure I'm not saying don't go out and record traffic stops when things are, are getting out of control. I'm not saying don't do any of that. What I'm saying is you cannot take matters into your own hands. Vengeance is mine, said the Lord, not yours. We have no right to take vengeance on anybody. We have no right. Romans 12 and 19 says this. Romans 12 and 19 says this. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Eventually, in the story that we read about, uh, Genesis 9 and 6, eventually, our murder blood had to be atoned for. In those days, if you killed somebody, you had to be killed. And so as, as opposed to people doing it, when we look at Romans 13, we realize... God instituted government. God instituted government to set the parameters to exact justice. It is not for us as civilians to go out and to take matters into our own hands. I'm not saying don't be vocal, but what I'm saying is you cannot take, uh, take things into your own hands into a physical manner. You can't go out, you can't hit anybody, you can't do any of that because God doesn't want us to do that. But you know what the interesting thing is about this story about Cain and Abel? That even though Cain was guilty, that even though Cain killed his innocent brother, that even though Cain was in the wrong, that even though Abel deserved justice, even Cain knew he was wrong. He says, now somebody's going to take my life. And do you know what God's response was after the first murder happened in the Bible? You know what he did for Cain? He extended grace to him. You know what, Cain? I'm going to mark you, even though you're in the wrong and you're far away from me. I'm going to protect you and extend my grace to you, even though you are a murderer. Now, here's the tough thing. But the Christ like thing to do. Even if somebody is wrong, you as a believer. Are supposed to exercise mercy and grace. But I'm angry, I'm upset. And I'm tired of it. Grace and mercy. But it was wrong and unjust. you got to give them mercy. But this is not right. It's been going on for years. But you got to extend mercy. But God, they deserve to be punished. It's not in your hands. I'll take care of it. you got to extend grace and mercy. It does not matter. Because if the truth be told, if we exercise vengeance and we compensate for the murder and the blood that was lost this week, then we need to avenge for the murder of every child that was not born, that didn't have a right to live. Then we need to avenge the murder of every innocent police officer that that was just doing their job and they got shot unjustly. I hate to be the bearer of truth, but I got to give it to you today. We are supposed to extend grace and mercy to everybody. There's this thing, this fundamental, simple thing that we all benefit from if we are in the body of Christ. It is called forgiveness. Oh, it's so painful sometimes. But we have to forgive people. And can I tell you that the forgiveness of God extends beyond our emotional state? I know you're upset. I know you're angry. Forgiveness. Here's why. Because the greatest murder that ever occurred, the most egregious act that ever occurred, happened over 2,000 years ago. And an innocent man's life was taken for something he did not do. He had nothing to do with it. Matter of fact, he was sinless, he was perfect. And he came to bring righteousness in the earth. And can I tell you that he died an execution death. He died the worst type of death. So much so that the Roman citizens couldn't even die this type of death. He died the death of execution for something that he did not do. He didn't die the death because he deserved it. He died the death because everybody in this room deserved it. And every sin of every person that's ever been born was put on one man at one time. And he bared it all. And he showed us what it looks like. And he said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. So yes, we watched the murder of two innocent people on video. But we got to extend grace and forgiveness, even in our anger. I get it. I understand. I've seen it happen. I know what it's like. I've experienced it myself. I have a real story of a time I was in Altamont Springs, driving from the bank, getting money out of the ATM, pulled over. Guns put in my face. I wasn't even told what I did wrong realized that I wasn't who they were looking for and they didn't offer an apology or an explanation. They got in their cars and drove off. Did I go looking for them? Nope. Was I angry? Absolutely. But you know what? Father, forgive them. For they know now what they do. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. We've all been benefactors. the forgiveness of God. We are all the Imago Dei. Everybody in this room, white, black, rich, poor, heterosexual, homosexual, all created in the image of God and all have a right to dignity and value and significance. Not because of what we've done But because of what he did. Do you know that salvation is a gift that was given to us that we didn't earn or deserve? And because we've gotten this free gift, this forgiveness, we have to extend the same thing to everybody that we encounter. But we have to get past our own prejudices, our own biases, our own bigotry, our own racism our own thwarted views of other people, and we have to engage and we have to dialogue because we've all been benefactors of the grace of God. That is your biblical worldview in the image of God. That is why we're upset. That is the main reason because someone in the image of God, created in the image of God, in his likeness, Their life was taken away from them. And that's why. That's why we feel the way we feel. And that is the the perspective we as believers are supposed to take. The image of God. The Imago Dei. We hope you were blessed by the message today and would love to hear about how God is using this ministry in your life. You can connect with us online at outpouringorlando.com to share your story, request prayer, give financial support, or learn more about our ministry. We'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services if you're ever in the Orlando area. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a wonderful week.